Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Herb Morgan, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. Today is Monday, uh, December 13th, 2021. This is my weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning today. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or LinkedIn, Herb Morgan. This is coming to you uh, if you subscribe uh, to the email or get this from our website. You get the slides and the video. Otherwise, it's available as a podcast. The podcast is called Slaying Bulls and Bears. We try to make the complex, complicated, simple, and sensical. It's available in all the standard podcast formats. The presentation you're seeing and or hearing is designed for use by both investors and financial advisors each of whom are expected to make their own investment decision. Nothing contained in the presentation is investment advice, nor should be treated as such. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities, purely for informational purposes only. The accuracy, adequacy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Well, just like that, we can't keep the market down. We had a bad week, and it was uh, followed up by a massive week. You know, it, was, it would have been a good six-month return for the S&P 500, 3.84%, bringing the total for year-to-date up to 27. Mid and small-cap stocks performed similarly, up almost 3%. International markets participated. The only thing lagging was emerging markets, and they had a great week. Uh, fixed income, the yield in the 10-year treasury went a little bit higher. That took the ag down three-quarters of a percent. You can see the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index here down 1.7 for the year. If you throw, say, 4% inflation on top of that, the real return for bonds this year is in the minus 5, minus 6%. And this is the problem with inflation. It redistributes wealth from uh, lenders to borrowers or savers to borrowers. So for those investing in bonds, we had a tough year. Even high yield hasn't quite kept up with uh, inflation. But you need bonds to provide the ballast and the stability in, a, in the overall portfolio. Of course, this benefits the U.S. Treasury, which is highly, highly, highly in debt. Okay, moving on from weekly performance of major indices, the first economic data piece we got last week was a unit labor costs and non-farm productivity. Non-farm productivity plummeted as labor costs rose. This is that inflationary pressure we're worried about. We have the reopening, we have massive amounts of job openings. You have, in some cases, people afraid to go back to work. There's a monetary incentive not to go back to work. There's the inability to go back to work because their kids' school, in some cases, is still closed. All of those things conspiring to drive a major labor shortage in the United States, causing prices to go higher, for labor, therefore productivity declining. The last two quarters, that has not impacted corporate profits. The prices have been raised on end products, put through to the consumer. It's a question of how long that can last. At this point, and I'm gonna show you some more data on uh, labor shortly, at this point, it looks like it could start to impact earnings, and of course, that would be negative indeed. Uh, on a bit of good news last week, the trade deficit fell, finally, first decline in the trade deficit since July, and it was even better than, uh, not quite as good as expected, rather. It came in at 67 billion, uh, point one. the estimate was 66.8, pretty close, actually. 
Imports were up only slightly, but a massive rise in exports. Whenever, remember, when that trade deficit shrinks, which hasn't done in a while, that's a positive for GDP. It adds to GDP, the formula being consumption plus investment plus government spending, C plus I plus G, plus exports minus imports. Imports subtract, exports add to GDP. Directionally, it's only one month, but it was certainly a positive development. Consumer credit rose 17 billion in October. That was well below the estimate of 25 after a monster month in uh, September. We had a couple of monster months in the last year. Revolving credit rose 6.6, non-revolving up 10. Seeing good numbers there means people have confidence about their ability to pay, their job situation, et cetera, with quits near, at or near all-time highs uh, and openings at all-time highs. There's no wonder people are willing uh, to extend themselves and to take on credit. So here we are for the big job openings or jolts number. Um, this was right at the record, which is set just a couple of months ago. Uh, 11 million open and unfilled jobs in the country. That even exceeded the consensus estimate of economists by 500,000. Uh, so we are getting people back, or at least the companies are trying to get the people back uh, to work. So we're happy course to see that. Now, here is the interesting thing. I just showed you the jolts or jobs openings. That is now this blue line you see on this, um, on this graph. This blue line at 11 million jobs openings, the same line I showed you on the previous slide. The orange or yellow line or whatever we want to call that here, that line is the number of unemployed so the gap you can see there is, what is that, 3.6 million. That's the largest gap ever. Typically, you can see, this goes here, this was a 20-year chart. Normally, you have more unemployed than you have openings, and that keeps it damp, you know, dampens the rise in labor. The good news is labor is going to make more and earn more and do better. It's a rising standard of living. Bad news is investors, is at some point, it eats into corporate profits. So you can see here the biggest gap ever. We had a gap here sort of during, uh, during the last administration. It was a nice, healthy gap. It was driving the real costs, or excuse me, the real standard higher. And now we have an even bigger gap because we're making up for a lot of that uh, shutdown-related uh, unemployment. We got a report on wholesale inventories. I, I almost did a double take. The estimate was high at 2.2%, looking at inventories to jump. And I've showed you over the last few months that inventories are extremely low uh, and they actually jumped more than ex expected at 2.3% rise. And you can see that over here on the right. That's a pretty huge jump. Now, when you see that, it means sometimes that means sales aren't happening out the other side, or it means companies are very confident doing everything they can to build inventories because they believe sales are going to go higher. It's going to get pulled through. Inventory is getting pulled through, we call it. Well, the inventory to sales ratio is where you go to look to see what's happening. And here is the inventory to sales ratio. Not the lowest ever, but darn close to it. So despite adding massively to inventories, the inventory to sales ratio is essentially flat month over month, down from a couple of months ago, way down from normal, which means we're, 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 we're stocking the shelves as fast as we possibly can, but consumers are buying businesses are buying everything out of 
the back end uh, there. So that's a sign of a very, very strong economy. At some point, a very, very strong economy can become an overheated economy. When you have uh, too much money chasing too few goods and services, that is the definition of inflation. More demand, less supply. We constricted supply when we shut down the global economy, particularly here in the United States, uh, and we gave everybody a lot more money. We massively expanded the monetary base of this country, unlike anything we've ever done. There was no doubt that would result in some amount of inflation. Uh, the voting members of the Federal Reserve uh, believed that it would be transitory, it would just be a spike on the reopening, and that it wouldn't repeat or it wouldn't stick, wouldn't be stay. Uh, they are now backtracking on that. They have stated to the Chairman Powell, I want to retire the word transitory. Uh, he didn't quite admit that it was a policy mistake, but most of us in the world, in the business, will tell you it was a big policy mistake. We have far exceeded the target for core inflation. We have a Federal Reserve Board meeting this week. We believe they will likely announce an accelerated timetable uh, for uh, the reduction in asset purchases. Uh, because of this inflation number that you see here, core CPI is up almost 5%, 4.9. See that 4.9% year over year? That's the red. Their target is two. It needs to come down. Um, they will probably not announce a rate hike um, this week, though they should. Uh, and there's, there's, there's a loud cacophony of folks like me, people that are in this world, economists, portfolio managers, etc that are saying this needs to happen including former voting members of the federal reserve including some of the voting members but uh as it stands right now uh, the market does not anticipate that's going to happen and this this inflation is getting away from them again it does help the u.s treasury technically speaking the federal reserve is not tasked with helping the u.s treasury they're tasked with price stability which at this point they have they're not getting and full employment which given what I've showed you about the labor market, they have more than achieved and they need to raise rates to prevent further inflation, which is of course erodes wealth uh, and is a very, very redistributive uh, phenomenon. University of Michigan consumer sentiment rose from 67 to 70, sort of ignored both the inflation and Omicron COVID variant this time around. In prior months that had weighed pretty heavily it is up. It wasn't up big. It's not like we're ebullient as consumers here, according to the University of Michigan. We did see current conditions improve a little bit, as did expectations. Uh, so it was nice, but I wouldn't call it a great report by any stretch. Moving on to this week's data, uh, there's a lot. Not today on Monday, small business optimism and producer prices on Tuesday. That complements the CPI from last week. New York State manufacturing for December, okay. Retail sales, import, export prices, business inventories, housing sentiment, uh, right here. It's the, it's the Wednesday announcement. We're 48 hours, almost a little more than 48 hours, about 50 hours from um, what they're going to do. No doubt in my mind, they say they accelerate the taper. Um, if they don't raise rates, and I don't think they will, it's just nothing more than not wanting to admit to the market that you were wrong. They need to do what's best for the country. I would call on the members, the voting members, to at least raise rates by 25 basis points this Wednesday. I think the chances of that are minute, however, but it would be the right call. Weekly jobless claims 
uh, housing starts, building permits, Philly Fed, industrial production and utilization, along with Marquette uh, Flash PMIs uh, for December, all come on uh, Thursday. It's just a very, very big, big and busy week for markets. And then, of course, uh, nothing on Friday. And then I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to take the next two weeks off. I certainly will be available in an emergency or if needed. The rest of the portfolio management team will be here. Uh, but we're going to not do this commentary for the final two weeks of the year. I'm going to go and celebrate my 30th, 30th wedding anniversary in Hawaii. Uh, certainly available if anybody needs me, but uh, we're going to try to not do the commentary for two weeks uh, unless anything significant really uh, develops. Thank you all for tuning in. It's been a great year. Appreciate you all very much. And we'll talk to you again in three weeks.